on this Christ the King Sunday, I want us to listen in on the grand celebration that's going on in heaven this very moment. John records the scene in Revelation 7 that we've heard read this morning. He had a vision of a multitude of singers. Though the word sing isn't used, scholars tell us they were singing. In fact, if you thumb through the book of the Revelation, there are songs throughout the book. They're easily found. They're the indented portions of the text. In the Revelation, we're given a glimpse of the songs of heaven sung by all the saints. These heavenly anthems are songs of victory intended to inspire our own worship and faithfulness as present-day saints. My thesis is that what is heard there, what is said there, what is sung there, has direct bearing on our lives today and our hopes for the future. I find it fascinating and wonderful that they're singing in heaven. I've long believed that music is one of God's great gifts. A world without music is unthinkable, unimaginable. A worship service without music would be sadly incomplete. Linda, I love the music here at Redeemer. The vibrancy of your singing reveals your heart for the Lord, and it's a great encouragement to us personally as we join each week with you in worship. And thanks be to Mother Amanda and every leader and musician who comes week after week to lead in worship, even those who are leading this this morning. Music gives expression to our deepest feelings and longings and beliefs. Let me say that again. We come and we sing and we lift our voices in praise to the Lord. Songs are a lyrical confession of our faith and hopes in God our Savior. When I became a Christian in the middle of my college years, I hadn't sung very much beyond happy birthday, take me out to the ball game, the star-spangled banner. I didn't say I sang those well, I said I sang those. Uh, we always talk to the mic people wherever we're speaking, make sure the mic is off when I'm singing. He says, I know what you mean. <laughs> An anecdotal observation tells us that in the secular world, singing isn't a regular part of most people's lives, certainly in groups. But individually, there is karaoke, of course, or singing along in the car with the radio blasting, or nowadays singing along to a favorite song on Spotify. That was certainly true for me as a teenager. I listened to countless hours of music on my transistor radio. I know that some of you are thinking, what's a transistor radio? <laughs> a transistor radio was an upgrade in electronics that made radios portable. You could take them anywhere. You could take a transistor radio anywhere you were. And for our generation, it was never more than an arm's length away. The DJ's top 40 became the soundtrack of our lives. I was constantly listening to music, but I rarely sang. But then I became a follower of Jesus in the middle of college, and songs and singing gave expression to my newfound faith in Jesus and my new life in Him. I began to sing out loud in the company of others in church, and I've been singing gladly ever since. Again, I didn't say well. I said gladly ever since. 
Song is at the heart of our faith and worship, whether we're talking about saints above or saints below. Each week, we are rehearsing for the day when we're going to be a part of that grand heavenly choir that Roman, uh, Revelation 7 talks about. A choir with so many members, they can't be counted. In our liturgy, we're getting a head start on heaven as we join our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven in praise to the Lord. Now, you may be thinking that Revelation, I didn't know it was so much about song. I thought it was about end-time predictions. Better suited for what some of us who are older have grown up with prophecy conferences. If you don't know what a prophecy conference is, <laughs> you might have to ask your parents, or as I look at some of you, your grandparents, <laughs> what is a prophecy conference? John's vision can be a bit daunting if it's seen to be a collection of coded predictions about movements of kingdoms and empires in the final years of history. If that's the case, you need a specialist in biblical prophecy to teach you, I am not that person. I'm reminded of the preacher who said, when it comes to the book of the Revelation, there are two types of Christians, those who really like it and those who are scared of those who really like it. <laughs> For most of my pastoral ministry, I've avoided preaching from Revelation apart from the first two or three chapters. That avoidance was a reaction or perhaps an overreaction to my early years as a Christian where the revelation was presented as a timeline to destruction, a timeline filled with gloom and doom and very little grace. The dispensational charts and endless discussions about the timing of the rapture or who the Antichrist might be do little to increase my faith and more often than not, increase my fears. But since then, I've come to believe that the purpose of Christ's revelation to the Apostle John for the church was the very opposite. It was written to increase our faith, to calm our fears, and to place within us a deep and lasting hope. This message of continued faithfulness and courage and hope begins in the first chapter for John. He sets the tone for us as he sees the Lord. He was wearing a long robe and a gold sash across his chest. His head and hair were white as snow, his eyes like flaming fire, his feet like polished bronze, his voice thundered, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. The vision took John's breath away. He writes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. Yes, the message of the revelation is about living hope in the resurrected Christ who is reigning now. Reigning now, right now. Not just in some far off place or in some far off day. The curtain is pulled back and what we see is a parallel universe, a kingdom where Jesus is alive in all of his glory, crowned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The heavenly choirs are singing. That's the backdrop. And on earth, the churches are singing as well. All of it happening simultaneously, a place where present 
and future overlap. That's what happens in worship as we're lifting our voices in praise to the Lord. Heaven and earth meet. The seven churches to which the revelation was first addressed were actually churches that John knew personally and in which he had no doubt ministered. They were going through difficult times, these early Christians, unimaginable suffering. Jerusalem had been ravaged and devastated by Rome, and the leaders in Rome had begun to persecute the church throughout the empire. The early Christians were experiencing great suffering, and martyrdom was becoming common. All the heartache that John and the early church witnessed seemed inconsistent with the great hope that Jesus would soon return and establish his new kingdom on earth. I imagine if you uh, have some of these feelings this morning at Redeemer, that the Lord is well aware of that, of your disillusionment, of your heartache, of your tears. You have run through some troubled waters of late. The Lord is near. The Lord knows. The Lord cares. Jesus has placed within his followers, past and present, a passion for seeing the kingdom launched in its fullness. In its fullness. Jesus spoke parable after parable, attempting to describe the kingdom's uniqueness in significance and power, stretching human vocabulary to its limits to help his followers understand just how wonderful it would be. The kingdom was to be like a hidden treasure that's found, a pearl of great value, a wayward son who returns home, a great feast of celebration. Christ had planted these dreams in them. Then he left them with a promise to come back and to make their dreams come true. Where was he? Where was this kingdom of heaven that he had talked so much about? They needed assurance, encouragement, comfort, and strength that Jesus hadn't forgotten them. Some this morning feel that we could stand a little encouragement, particularly with what's going on in the world. This is a world in trouble. How can we listen to the news? How can we listen to this ongoing war in Ukraine and our hearts not be broken? How will it end? When will it end? So what you may be facing personally this morning causes you to sigh and perhaps even to weep. And then as I've mentioned, the struggle that you have gone through and are going through as a church at that threshold that Linda preached about last week. In response to what was certainly some disillusionment for these early believers, their loss of hope and their temptation to give in and give up, the living Christ called John to address not only the seven churches, but also the churches through the centuries with songs of assurance and hope. And yes, Church of the Redeemer is included in that. The revelation from Christ is not an end-time puzzle to solve, but a proclamation of hope for the church in every age. Few Bible passages are as radiant with hope as Revelation 7. There is a great gathering of people who are sealed against evil by the Spirit. Scholars tell us this all-inclusive choir represents the saints who live by faith in Jesus Christ, 
That includes you. That includes me. John then tells us he sees a number growing. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, a multitude that no one could number. It's beyond our imagination. How would this incomparable and overwhelming vision have been an encouragement to the churches, to the Apostle John himself as this vision unfolds? Well, put yourself in their place. They were beginning to think that they were on the wrong side. But with this vision of numberless throngs of saints from every nation, every tribe, people and language standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, secure in God's presence, exuberantly singing in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They were filled with hope because they saw themselves in that great number. Do you see yourself in that great number? The saying, there's strength in numbers, is absolutely true. Lynn and I occasionally go to a large Tizay service in Oak Park. Maybe some of you have been there as well. And at one point in the service, we all, from every kind of Christian church, join hands across the aisles and say the Lord's Prayer together, loudly and with conviction. We sense in those moments the power of being a part of God's diverse and united kingdom, and it blesses our heart. The multitude John saw showed him and the others who read this book that in the end, God is the winner in the battle against all that would destroy us. Hallelujah. God will be the one who wins. And we are on his side, and he on our side. Hallelujah. As they listen to John's words being read in the churches, I can imagine some extroverts jumped to their feet and began to sing, Salvation belongs to our God. And perhaps a few introverts couldn't help but jump up too. Maybe they even grabbed a tambourine and sang along at the top of their voices. I'm known to grab a tambourine during Easter Vigil once in a while, so you'd want to see that, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's hard to imagine, isn't it? But it's true. It's true. And by the way, Linda and I love the percussion here at Redeemer, even our sister Debbie this morning. However, our worship, however it may be expressed, as the late Anglican Bishop William Fry wrote in his book, The Dance of Hope, a, a, a book worth reading, by the way, The Dance of Hope. The challenge for us present-day saints is to hear the melody of the future in these songs of heaven. To hear the melody of the future in these songs of heaven. The grand and glorious future that God is bringing to pass. John continues to recount the details of the vision. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Repetition is important in this parallel kingdom. This is the same song that they're singing in Revelation 5. It appears there's only so many words, so many superlatives that we can use to describe King Jesus the Lamb who was slain to offer him the praise he deserves. The accolades are leaped higher and higher in praise to the one true God. 
the lamb we adore. Repetition carries over in our church, whether it's the Gloria that we sing this morning or the Sanctus that we sing in every service. And we're greatly familiar and love the songs of the special seasons of the year. Christmas as it's approaching, and Advent, and Easter. It is true that in worship, heaven and earth meet. For we join our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. See, it's no small thing we do. Heaven and earth meet as we worship the Lord. Repetition of these songs frees us to meditate on the words, allowing them to bypass our minds and go directly to God. That's the value of meditation. Next in John's vision, we discover just who the people are. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They are the faithful of God who have passed through all the sufferings of life in all the persecutions the world could dish out. They have known hunger and want and pain and suffering and disillusionment and despair and fear and death. But no more. No more. Never again. Hallelujah. Remember, this is every Christian's story. This is your story. This is my story. This is Redeemer's story. The heavenly choir's resounding song of victory reverberates with joy in the heart of every believer, knowing that hunger and sorrow and tears and hopelessness and doubt are things God in Christ cares very deeply about. God wipes away every tear. He shelters us with His presence. The Lamb is our shepherd. This infusion of God life, kingdom life, has broken into our present world through Jesus the Lamb who was slain, resurrected, and ascended. The kingdom life John sees in the vision is our destiny to be sure. No evil shall separate us from the love of God or the future He has to bring to pass. But in the meantime, in this fallen world in which we travail, we continuously need to be filled with hope in these days of uncertainty in our own country and in the world as where those early Christians were when they read these words. We may or may not be living in the end times. I'll leave that to others to determine. But we need to be filled with hope. Let the song of the victory of Revelation 7, let that song represent, that song that the saints in heaven and earth are singing. Let it echo in the heavens. Let it echo within our hearts and minds and soul. May that be our anthem too here on earth as it is the anthem of heaven. So what I suggest is that you take this order of worship and the songs that we sang this morning, and Salvation Belongs to Our God is one of those, but I would suggest you take all of those songs and rehearse them and sing them. Spotify is a great help here. I told you, I can't sing. But if someone else is singing on tune, maybe I can come close. It'll still be a joyful noise on my part and perhaps on yours as well. But I say, don't trash this. Take it home this week. And let these songs echo in your heart and mind and soul as well. Shout it or whisper it. Raise your hands or kneel in God's presence.
but by all means, sing it to the Lord. And when hard times come, they have, and they will, know with certainty and with great resolve that those difficulties are not the end of the story. Lift your eyes. Hear that melody that is being sung in heaven. In the end, God wins. That's the bottom line. God has defeated the enemy and establishes the world he had in mind all along, finally and forever. Amen. That is the journey that we're on. Some of you may know the story of Corrie Ten Boom, of her family who were among those who hid Jewish people in Holland during World War II. She and several members of her family were arrested and ended up in concentration camp. Corey reminds us that these words were carved on the mantle of their family fireplace. Jesus is victor. Jesus is victor, carried them through it all. That was Corey's message. Wherever she preached, wherever she was, Jesus is victor. And that's the message of the revelation. And that's the message particularly of the songs of Revelation. Jesus is victor. So the revelation isn't an end time puzzle to be solved. It's a song of salvation, a song of victory that fills the heavens and fills our hearts with joyful hope in the best of times and yes, in difficult times. Hope is the ability to hear the melody of that sure and certain future. And it's our place to walk by faith and to allow that music of heaven and the truth that it represents to shape our hearts and minds and words and actions in this journey toward that good and certain future. So Mother Linda's prayer and my prayer for you is that the risen Christ who stands in our midst would lead you step by step into that good future. Mother Amanda, with her message before she left for renewal, said that we dream again. That we dream again. Let the music of heaven that gladdens the hearts of the saints above gladden your hearts as the saints below, renewing your faith in the Lord and in one another to become the church you long to be to the glory of God and to the benefit of all those whose lives you touch in this neighborhood and beyond in the days ahead and yes, I believe in years to come. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.